from Car Rigs and Ingram, this is It Figures, the CRI podcast, an accounting, advisory, and industry-focused podcast for business and organization leaders, entrepreneurs, and anyone who is looking to go beyond the status quo. Hello and welcome to another episode of the It Figures podcast. My name is Robert Lemon. If you're a first-time listener, I'll introduce myself. I'm uh, one of the government par- uh, audit partners for Carriggs and Ingram in the Gainesville office. And we're going to be talking today about some COVID-19 governmental questions that we've seen flying around. It's similar to previous podcasts that we've done, if, if you're a frequent listener. Um, again, if you're a frequent listener, you'll be familiar with my first guest, which is Ray Roberts. Ray, do you want to do a quick intro of yourself for people who haven't heard you before? Thanks, Rob. Yeah, my name is Ray Roberts. I'm in charge of the, the government industry line for the firm. I live out in Albuquerque, New Mexico, been out here out west for quite some time. Uh, just been doing government audits and not-for-profit audits for a, a very long time. But anyway, I've been a variety of different committee meetings at the a- levels at AICPA or state levels uh, throughout my career. And I look forward to help talking with you guys today. Excellent. Thank you, Ray. And my other guest today is actually a new uh, a new person. Normally, Ray and, I, Ray and I have had Becky Hammond on the call with us, but today she wasn't available. So we've actually got Jason Harp. Jason, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, Rob. Uh, my name is Jason Harp. I'm an audit partner uh, out of the Birmingham office, uh, primarily doing uh, government audits, also some commercial entities. So a little bit on both sides of the fence, but primarily, you know, government auditing. Excellent stuff. Well, Jason, we are supremely happy to have you here today. Ray and I, this is our, I think we've done three podcasts before. So we're all old professionals. We'll, uh, you're the new guy on the, on the team. So we'll, we'll take it easy on you. But uh, the format we've always done in the past is, is kind of a Q&A session. I've got some questions and I know you guys know a lot of the answers. Um, particularly glad that Jason could join us today because in addition to Becky, you know, Jason is also really knowledgeable on this government stuff, particularly as it relates to the CARES Act funding. He's been doing a lot of great research, keeping on track uh, of of the latest information that's available, which isn't a ton of information all the time, but uh, that's what our questions are going to be focused on today because the CARES Act funding is coming down and everyone's wondering where where it's coming from and when they're going to get theirs and how to spend it. I'll, I'll, before I start, start asking the first question, I'm going to kind of summarize what we've seen on the CARES Act. And, you know, state and local governments that receive this big chunk of CARES Act money, you know, we've seen that there's three requirements they've got to spend it on. It's, it's necessary expenditures incurred due to the public health emergency. It's got to be things that were not previously budgeted for. And it's got to be stuff that inc- uh, occurs between March the 1st and December the 30th of this year, 2020. But we're going to try and dive in a little bit more uh, deeply today onto what exactly me- meets those requirements because they're pretty broad requirements. So I've got a bunch of questions. Full disclosure, a lot of these questions are, are straight from information the Treasury have put up on their website. And we're going to be summarizing them and, and trying to share with, with everyone what we think are the most important things. Um, so I'm going to dive right in. And, and one question that just stood out to me as a, as a high level one, you know, when a state receives payments of these CARES Act funds, 
are they allowed to transfer these funds to any of the local governments within that state? So has anyone seen anything on this and anyone want to take a shot at this question? Yeah, Rob, I, this is Jason. I, I certainly think um, th- this is a great question and, and one that I know I've gotten several times mainly related to, I guess, you know, where I am, uh, our county that I'm in, they were eligible to get, you know, uh, a direct CARES Act funding. And several of the cities, you know, have asked, you know, well, is there any chance that we may be able to get some of that? Or I guess if the county wanted to, could they transfer some of those funds to us? And and the answer is yes. I think it really depends on, you know, would there would that government above them, you know, be willing to do that? And, you know, that that has to be explored. Obviously, it would be probably up to them. But the most important thing, if they did do the transfer, Rob, it was like you said a minute ago, you would have to pass those three um, eligible expenditure items, you know, for that transfer really to, to cover those expenditures. So, like you said, it would have to be necessary. It had to be related to, you know, something to do with the coronavirus or COVID, you know, expenditures directly and couldn't, it had to be something, you know, outside of that budget amount. And then it would have a, a time frame to be spent. But the, the short answer is, you know, yes, that, that you could, you know, there could be a transfer to a, a local government. So I think that's important to know and to realize that there is that option there, but I believe it would just depend on, you know, would, would a county or potentially state, you know, want to do that? But, but there is that option. So let me fire another one to you, because first level, we talked about states, and, and, and yet they can pass funds through to a local government. What, what about for the next level down? What about that local government? Can they then uh, pass funds onto another government unit after that? Uh, yeah, they, they, they could, you know, according to the Q&A, that, that would certainly uh, that would qualify if those expenditures are there again, meet, meet the definition of something that would be covered with the CARES Act funding. Um, you know, the big issue, though, that I think that a lot of governments are struggling with is, you know, meeting the threshold for those expenditures is, is relative. I mean, there's some, I guess, interpretation, but the ones, the things you called out, Rob, those three, that's kind of got a good definition. I think what I'm seeing where the big issue is, is just a revenue shortfall, maybe with, you know, sales tax stopping or, or being cut way back, obviously, because of the quarantine. So that local government couldn't really pass anything to through to, a, a, you know, a, another you know, sub-government underneath them to replace revenue. So you really would have to identify those expenditures, you know, before the transfer occurred. And it couldn't be anything just to, to replace a revenue that's missing, you know, to, to I guess, turn around and cover maybe normal expenditures that you had budgeted for. So you've got to make that connection um, before the transfer occurs that you've got things covered correctly. That's a good point, because that's something I've seen in a lot of the guidance is that it cannot replace lost revenue. That's just, it's just not allowed. But, but I like what you've, you've said there. So just to, to recap, you know, an example would be a state can receive the money and they can pass it down to a county. And that county could then pass it down to a town or a city and, and they could use it as long as it meets those three eligible expenditure criteria, right? That's that is exactly how I interpret it. Good stuff. Well, what about if if 
not all of the funds are spent by the end of the end of the period. You know, with the, the, the three rules, they put this time period of March the 1st through December the 30th, and that's the window of usage. What happens to stuff left over at the end? It can, can governments keep that? Anyone know? Huh, I'll take that one, Rob. You know, this is, a, this is the, the really big deal about this because, you know, money's going to be tight and they're going to get this extra money and they're going to be wanting to spend it on anything and everything they can just to help keep the services whole like they were before. But it's, it's clear that the CARES Act changed the rules on this and it specifically allows for two things. One, it has a mechanism to, if you spent the money incorrectly, maybe you spend it on something for lost revenues instead of actual additional expenses that were budgeted, then the, the treasury can come in and recoup that money. And then also, if you didn't spend it all because you wanted to spend it on the right thing and you didn't incur those additional expenses, you would have to give that money back. So they got you coming and going on this. You know, I think it's going to be really tempting to stretch the, the boundaries a little bit on how to spend this money because you might not spend all the money you need on the specific COVID-19 uh, activities, you know, that because of the health emergency, you might not spend all the money that you get on that. And you'll want to find a reason to do that. Just be very careful on that because the compliance with that's going to be enforced with treasury. You know, we think that the feds are going to start adding some single audit requirements to it or uniform guidance requirements to it. It's not going to be free in that case. There are going to be people going to come out and start checking uh, what was actually spent on or spent at all, you know, so if that's the if if you didn't spend it right or didn't spend it at all, you're going to have to give it back, and uh, hopefully you have the money at that time when it's when they ask for it back. So anyway, big deal, big area. Need to be real careful in what you spend that money on, so you don't have to give it back. Yeah, this, I, I figured that was going to be the answer. There's not a lot of free lunches out there where you're going to get to keep this stuff, but uh, no, I, and as you said, that is uh, expressly called out that you you can't keep that money, but what about if you found an, ex- an eligible expenditure and you've got to prove, you know, you, like you were saying, Ray, you, you want to be able to prove that it was eligible. Um, what kind of records are people being asked to keep for their eligible expenditures? Yeah, this is a typical uh, government response to the federal government response is the government should keep sufficient uh, records to demonstrate that the funds were used in accordance with the act, you know, so that doesn't really give you a whole bunch of details. So what is sufficient evidence or documentation? You know, my rule of thumb is if whatever you were doing when you had federal monies before, like what you did when you had a, uh, you're subject to a single audit under uniform guidance, whatever documentation you kept in that for that type of expenditure, if you keep it on this, you should, have more than enough documentation. So just keep that in mind. Just keep, when in doubt, keep the documentation on this area until we have more information about what they're going to be looking for. So, but you got to have the documentation and just use, just be extra careful in that area and do what you would have, you know, if you're doing a single audit or previous federal expenditures. Yeah, that's a good point. Kind of put yourself in the shoes of imagining you were getting this, uh, going through the single audit so for people who haven't really had a single audit, that typical examples would be, I guess, invoices for purchases and, and, and timesheets for um, 
employee salary costs and things like that. So anything else, Ray, other than invoices and timesheets? You know, budgets and the re- the related uh, changes that were made to it at the those in charge and governance level, at the board level, because that's important because it's something that wasn't budgeted before. So you're going to have to change your budget to reflect that, you know, and then the timesheets and then, uh, you know, the related discussions. And if there's any other kind of internal uh, documentation that maybe is unique to your city or your county, uh, keep that. But between the the change in the budget, the invoices, the timesheets, uh, I think you, you'll have most of it covered. But like you say, best case, best approach is to have as much documentation as possible just to, to make sure. That's uh, good, good advice. Let's see, what else we got here on the questions? Um, so is it allowable for payments to be used to replace foregone utility fees? And the reason I, I kind of brought this one in was because I had this question from a client um, and it was specifically addressing the FAQ documents. So can, can the payments, can the CARES Act funding replace foregone utility fees? And if not, can the fund payments be used as a direct subsidy payment to the utility account holders? Anyone want to take a shot at this one? Uh, Rob, that, that kind of touches on a little bit of what I mentioned earlier about, you know, you really can't use any of these funds to uh, replace any lost revenues. So I think the answer to your first part of your question is is no. And I've been really concerned over that. I have a lot of clients that have business type activities, electric and water and gas. And I immediately thought, wow, this could get really bad because, you know, millions of people are out of work and obviously times are tough. So, you know, there will probably be some late payments or no payments related to, you know, utility type, um, you know, fees. So I've, I've thought, gosh, wonder how that would work. You know, and obviously you can't you know, get any kind of a, a transfer or use these funds to replace that revenue. But really the second part of your question, there's a way, I guess, around that, if you want to say, call it that, you, just, there, you can do or use the funds for, a, you know, a hardship type grant to, to people to help pay their utilities. So. You know, while you can't directly say I'm going to use this to replace revenue, you could set up a program, you know, to supply these funds to to your customers or citizens, uh, you know, is, is sort of a hardship type grant that would in turn allow them to be able to pay their utility fees and keep essential services rolling. So there's a way around that. You would have to structure it correctly, you know, and make sure that you, you set everything up so it was pretty clear you weren't trying to replace revenue. Uh, but there's a way around that. So that's the good news. And you would implement that and put that program in place. Uh, you know, and maybe what Ray was saying, kind of back to the, the grant environment, make sure you've got everything documented and make sure the people that are eligible, you know, are, are in compliance rules that you create. But but certainly there's a way to make that happen. So, so. Yeah, this is where I got to when I was researching this question that, that, like you say, these subsidies to the account holders, what if by law or some kind of rule, you couldn't cut the services off anyway, you know, so regardless of whether they get the subsidy or not, the essential services will keep running because they're just not allowed to be cut off. Now, I'm throwing you a bit of a curveball here, Jason, but what are your thoughts on this? Do you know whether in that case, well, technically... You know, the, the subsidy isn't the thing that's keeping the services running, so they could not be spent on that. Because my advice was 
hey, that's a bit of a gray area. So let's steer clear of the gray areas until we get better clarity. And I wouldn't jump straight to using them for that purpose. Would you agree with that conclusion? I, I would. Um, you know, anything with this, as we know, the rules are sort of vague in a lot of different areas, even related to setting up a program, you know, to, for an economic, economic hardship grant, you know, that's even vague. But like you said, if there's a requirement where you, you really can't turn power off or you can't turn water off, you know, related to this, and I think most governments have some stipulation as such that you, you can't turn those services off, um, you know, you'd have to be careful in those situations that you aren't stepping on, stepping into a gray area that could cause you trouble later. Um, so unfortunately, I, I wish there were, was more guidance and better rules but right now we're kind of working under what we have. So you would have to realize entering into that, that, you know, there is a chance that if you do it, you know, later you may be asked to pay funds back, but, um, but know that there is a mechanism right now to, to be able to at least, you know, supply money to your citizens or individuals so they could potentially pay you. Yeah. That, that's, that's how I felt. It was, like you said, a gray area, and maybe I'm overthinking it. Maybe I'm being too cautious. But at the very least, I'd want people to be aware of, hey, this is supposed to be for just keeping essential services going. So there could be a challenge there if someone says, hey, I wasn't required to keep those essential services on because they weren't going away anyway. But uh, like you say, we just don't have enough clarity to give a final conclusion on that. But uh, hey, so I got one more question left. So who wants to take this last one? It's a, it's a bit of a big one. So let me, let me go. I'll take it. <laughs> I like that you're stepping up before you know what you're getting, but uh, this one is just to ask. The guidance says that a cost was not accounted for in the most recently approved budget if the cost is for a substantially different use from any expected use of funds in such a line item. What would qualify as a substantially different use for the purposes of fund eligibility. So this goes back to what I was saying at the beginning, you know, it's got to be something that was previously budgeted, but if it's substantially different, hey, that wasn't previously budgeted, it's, it's allowed to be used. So what are, you, what are your thoughts on what would qualify as substantially different? Try and define that vague term for me, one of you guys. This is Ray, I'll take you this. I think it's uh, important to realize it had, it had to be a change in budget. And it has to be due entirely to the COVID-19 public health emergency. Okay, if you get through those basic hurdles, that's two of the three that you have to get through, uh, then you have to decide, is this substantially different? For instance, if you got a corrections facility officer, you know, and you're, you take them out of, the, out of the prison or out of the jail and you put them into uh, enhanced sanitation, wiping things down or you're enforcing stay-at-home provisions or orders or diverting educational support staff uh, or fa uh, faculty to develop online learning capabilities, those are different than what you had before. You didn't have correction people going out, cleaning things, or keeping people six feet apart. Or you didn't have uh, education people doing online classes and developing instructional material there. Now, keep in mind that it's a substantial difference. It has to be actually different than what you're doing. So if the teachers are out there and they're doing 
the classes and developing the classes for online training. It's going to be different than what's in the real live classes. That's going to be different. But, but there's really not a substantial difference between the actual presentation of the class online versus presentation of the class in, in the classroom. So there's not much different there. So that wouldn't count. But the developing the, the materials and or paying your IT guys to help support those teachers working from their house, that would be different than what you were doing before. Good example. So just to recap, kind of where the dividing line here is, is, hey, if, if you're just teaching a class the way you would, but you're doing it remotely, you're still just teaching the normal hours that you would take on a class. That's that's not substantially different. However, coming up with that different material in a different format, that is substantially different to what your what, what the normal role would be. And therefore, that's where it crosses over and makes it eligible because uh, that's substantially different. Okay. I just want to give a shout out. Well, first off, a big thanks to Ray and Jason. Awesome, awesome answers. As always, I knew you guys would uh, have all the knowledge and, and experience and, and clearly the stuff and the answers right now are still very, uh, very, very vague. We, we are waiting, all of us, for clarity from the, the guidelines to be uh, more, more specific and get more clarity. But I know that Jason and Ray and, and all the team are going to be staying abreast of the latest guidance and research. And um, definitely want to recommend people, if, if people are interested on the, these subjects, the Treasury website is where we got most of our information from. Uh, it is uh, available for, and there's FAQs on there that people might want to review. One other thing on the Treasury website that I want to mention as well is that they've put out a, a notice about COVID-19 scams. So they are telling people that if they receive calls or emails or communications claiming to be from the Treasury Department offering the COVID-19 related stimulus, and, and, and they're asking for like personal financial information or an advanced fee or anything like that. The, the, the Treasury website is, is saying these are scams. Please do not respond. So just as we're passing on useful Treasury information, I wanted to add that piece in there as well because obviously no one wants to get scammed. Well, that is all I've got for this one. I'm going to wrap it up here and, and just thank you guys again for, for answering the questions. Thank everyone for listening. Hope you've uh, enjoyed our little ramblings and and. Just recommend anyone want to check out CRICPA.com for additional information and resources on all these COVID-related topics, especially, and there's plenty there specific to governments. So thank you again, everyone, for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Goodbye. If you want more CRI insights or are interested in learning about our firm, please visit our website at CRICPA.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of It Figures, the CRI podcast. You can subscribe to It Figures on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen to your podcasts. If you liked what you heard today, please leave us a review.